We are in uh, Exodus today. Yeah, that's what's going on. It's the midweek Bible studies here with AddedSouls.com. Stefan Maier at the helm. It's good to have you. It's good to see you streaming live. We're in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through verse 14. Verses 1 through 10, of course, regarding the birth of Moses. And verses 11 through 14, Moses has grown up. And uh, he did something that caused something. And there are some reactions, you know, consequences to the things we do. And uh, you and I were going to look into that and find the information of this witnessed and recorded account available for our practical application, our faith this day, this hour. How does the information uh, written thousands of years ago um, apply? to our Christian faith today. Because you and I, we are living in the messianic age. We are called to be good stewards of the Christian era. You and I live after the fact. Christ has been crowned king. He has fulfilled the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension. And you and I, because of such powerful love, we have the, um, the wonderful opportunity to become the recipients of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, salvation, to be added into his body of believers, um, legal citizens of his kingdom. And it is a beautiful thing that you and I, through our independent accountability, our intellectual capabilities, uh, free will. God has blessed us with the ability to think for ourselves so as not succumb to the oppression of a tyrant or misguided, erroneous religious worldviews that you can find out there in bulk numbers. You and I, we just want to read the information found in the Inspired Writ We've done the necessary studies to recognize the inspiration of God-breathed literature, the 66 books of the Holy Bible, and Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 is the portion you and I shall be looking at today. Kind of look into things. If you want to find uh, previous our previous studies during this midweek these midweek sessions, the theme to study, uh, you go ahead and look at our various platforms and uh, you'll find them there. So you can uh, kind of look at what we've been through thus far. We've gone through the book of Genesis, wonderful study, a wonderful look at stuff. And uh, I encourage you to go take a look at that. Exodus chapter one, same thing. Several weeks ago, you go ahead and look at the archive videos. Friends, listen, a bit of housekeeping, always necessary. Consider, please, signing up subscribing, giving us a thumbs up, drop a comment, share the link far and wide. Okay, um, you can support this kind of work. The Added Souls Ministry through the Maya family helps us put food on the table, right? You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com and support us there monthly. You can also send off a donation through PayPal, my email address, addedsouls at gmail.com. I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here on the East Coast of Canada, a beautiful, flourishing, healthy congregation. 
and you can check out our updates and reports and progress, our uh, um, lessons, the things we are learning uh, over at eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, or you can also find us on Facebook, our East Coast Church of Christ page. You can kind of follow me as well, if you will, on my personal profiles and things like that. You can find us on YouTube, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, Substack, Locals, Rumble, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and Patreon, and various other locations. So uh, there it is. It's available to you. And uh, I hope and pray uh, we uh, come to God first and foremost in prayer, asking his blessing on these efforts, the added souls efforts. Um, because there's souls like you and I out there. There's souls like you and I out there who find value, substance, in the material uh, of the scriptures, the inspired material of the scriptures, and how it pertains to life and godliness, our walk uh, each day in trying to be upright, have integrity, be honest, transparent, and available, and proclaiming, doing what is doing what is right. We're going to put the text on the screen, uh, and uh, that way you can follow along if you're looking at the visual side of things. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Let me see here where we're at with that. Uh, ta -ta -ta. There we go. Let's see if I do this. You could probably see it on the screen. There it is. Ta-da! Marvels of modern technology. The technology era, right? Some good, some bad, and some ugly, but... Uh, this is a good part of things. This is an expedient. You won't find a book, chapter, verse that says, use your uh, software on your Mac OS to uh, deliver. You know, no, no, no. It's the freedom and privilege we have in Christ to utilize expedience. And uh, it's an expedient form to utilize camera and microphone and uh, apps and softwares and technology for you and I to read the scriptures together. I find that pretty cool. And I thank God for that. You should thank God for that. Much has been taking place here. Exodus chapter 1, quick recap, of course, Joseph departed. And there's a new king in Egypt, and this new king, well, he don't care much about history. He don't care much about the uh, cooperation, if you will, the um, fellowship that was available uh, to the Egyptian people and Joseph and his people in days past. No, this, this new king, he don't care about that. He's a tyrant. He's a dictator. And uh, he's a violent brute. And he don't care much. He don't have no remorse for things like human empathy or uh, well-being. No. Hard labor, bondage, slavery... You must do as we uh, heavy-handedly oppress, or you will be murdered. You will be disposed of. So the policy of this government legalizes, quote-unquote, legalizes the murder of little baby boys. Uh, but um, God torts their plans, if you will, through his wonderful providence in the vessels of individuals who are fearful of God more than men. And they are faithful to the great I Am, the Ancient of Days, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, more so than this new king here in Egypt, who can certainly dispose of their lives. He has that political power and influence to enforce his policy, his way, or the highway, as they so commonly slang in our dialect. Well, 
The midwives, of course, tort that plan of sorts, and um, chapter 2 brings us to the birth of Moses, a little baby boy that was not allowed, permitted to live. He should have been snuffed out, right? Should have gotten whacked, but he didn't. Why? Because God loves us. Because God loves us. And through the natural pathogens of the account, providential winds, and at times, of course, bursts of divine intervention, miraculous supernatural occurrences, all of these wonderful things sway to the fulfillment of the will, the testament. And Moses, of course, was blessed with the opportunity to participate and practice his task. And that all began as a little baby baby. So in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, as we move forward, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. Are you aware what that means? Have you checked out the purpose behind the mention of Levi's household? Wasn't it the priestly lineage? Let me know in the comments. What do you think? The house of Levi, wasn't it not the priestly lineage? Okay, so there's a man from the house of Levi uh, and went and married a daughter of Levi. So they did not contaminate themselves with outside influence. They remained within the boundaries and lineage of their people. And uh, that's what took place there. And I think it is indeed for the mention of purity, for the mention of uh, the upright lineage in which God had instructed and guided forward. So the instruction of the account moves forward in verse 2 and says, the woman conceived and bore a son. So from these two individuals, male, female, right? Male, female became husband and wife. Two became one. Um, uh, the seed, the egg, the power of God's natural function here on earth. It's just, again, it's noteworthy to say the least how procreation is such a biological uh, or engineered, uh, well, I don't know what the right word would be. It's just truly fascinating to me <laughs> how God organized that. He ordered that through the breath of his word. He, everything got organized that way and male and female <laughs> become husband and wife and uh, for the most part, uh, become uh, the recipients of this procreation. But it's more than procreation. It's more than just survival through procreation, though that is indeed a part and parcel of the experience of our, of our life. Uh, there's love there. There's blessing. There, there's truly um, an opening for emotional investment that is well worth it as a father of three little children, being married to a wonderful, beautiful, faithful wife, uh, None of these things that I deserve, by the way, but somehow through God's grace, I don't know how I lived. I don't even know how to. Don't, don't ask me. I don't know. I know it's not supernatural. It may be through winds of providence of sorts. Um, it's not favoritism. God don't like me more than you or anything like that. But uh, I can't say it to be within the whims of pagan chance or anything either. It's just... We are subject to this fallen world, its natural ways, yet God remains, he lives, and our free will, existent as it is, all these facts of life, quote-unquote, 
um, are organized in a way that function for the greater good of the kingdom, his kingdom. And whatever that may be in its full measurement, um, I'm, I don't know why I'm still alive, but here I am and I'm trying to do my, the best I can. And you may feel the same way too. Maybe you got an account of the same, of similar stance and, uh, you feel like I do. We don't deserve all this love, but here it is. So a man from the house of Levi and a married daughter of Levi, male, female, husband and wife, she conceives and bore, bore a son. Well, maybe they don't deserve none of it, yet they become the recipient of this blessing. In a time of turmoil, of course, in a time where the new king of Egypt, he don't care much for life. Specifically, human life in the form of a male. But yet here she is, blessed with this opportunity. What do you do? Oh, she disobeyed the law. She's not a good Christian. She should be put in jail. Is that what we're going to say? Some brethren would say that today. I know it because we've gone through those kind of similar experiences. Some brethren are so misguided, sadly. But not all. Not all. Many of us, we get what's going on, don't we? It's the same with the midwives. How dare they disobey the government and their policies? Yeah, I think it's called upon us to do exactly that. <laughs> when the policies of a corrupt uh, government enforce murder upon the people, it don't don't matter if they call it health care or or uh, uh, legal. Don't matter what they use. Don't it don't matter that they call evil good and good evil, man. It's just we believers who have faith in God fear God more than man. And we will obey God before submitting to the murderous, tyrannical whims of a lunatic, a fool, uh, a murderous rampage of an individual. You know, um, I think it's wise for us to recognize that because we're going full. We've gone full circle, right? We're we're <laughs> we're almost there once again in a uh, fallen and corrupt nations. But, anyways. Um, bit of an excursion there. Back to the text. It says, The woman conceived and bore a son. And uh, once she saw that he was beautiful, this little baby boy was a beautiful, innocent little baby. Uh, she hid him for three months. Now, I don't know, man. I've had kids. You know, my wife and I, I'll joke around. And I'll be like, hey, you know, what happens if the bad guys come, you know, looking for us for this, that, and the other, you know, and times are crazy right now. And Well, we're going to hide the kids. We're going to hide the kids. Well, how do you hide kids? Well, ours now are a bit older. So it might be a bit easier for us to be like, shh, be quiet. And they'll be quiet. <laughs> but little babies? Dude, I've held little babies. I love little babies. They're the cutest, innocent little things. Human beings. we got to protect them. we got to lay down our lives to protect them. You know, some people believe that in our past life. You, you, could you imagine it? Some people believe that once upon a time. They bled the ground red to give us our freedom, right? Give our little babies a secure location to have all the privilege to grow up in a free society. Yeah, we, yeah I know it's strange language to today's world, but uh, we used to believe that. We used to believe little babies were important. So much so that this woman wanted to protect her little baby. It was a beautiful little baby. There was something unique about this little baby. He was a human being. 
Nothing special about that. He was a human being or human beings were created in the image of God. Oh, that's special. That's unique. We're created in the image of God. And this little baby, along with all other little babies, was created in the image of God. And his mother, thank be to God that his mother was pro-life, she chose to protect him and hid him for three months. Sometimes protection means hiding. Yeah, I know. Crazy idea, right? Build the bunkers. They're coming for us. <laughs> well, of course, this is during the age of uh, physical Israel. You and I live now in the age of spiritual Israel. And though there are similarities, if you will, that do apply in the physical life, our priorities in the spiritual afterwards. Anyways, so this beautiful little baby boy, his mother hid for three months. Imagine, when he's hungry, he cries. When he don't feel well, he cries. When he uh, <clears throat> has a diaper full, he cries. But his mother loves him, and his mother cares, and his mother wants the well-being of this child. He's a beautiful child, and he needs to live. And so for three months, he was hid. By who? Well, the crazy tyrant there. The new king of Egypt. He don't care much about life. He's paranoid. He don't want the citizenry to, you know, get wise and organize and unite against corrupt government. <laughs> Forbid we ever do that as citizens of our nation get organized and united and put our differences aside so as to, you know, get rid of the tyrant. Forbid we ever do that. Okay, so the woman conceived and bore a son. If you're wondering the approach I'm utilizing, it's called information from this recorded account into our practical application. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was uh, beautiful, she hid him for three months. I hope a whole bunch of mommies today do the same, right? Hide the babies to keep them away from these corrupt governments, these bloodlusting oppressors. Okay, verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer... Like, I mean, you know, there's an expiration date to hiding. There's an up and a down. The up, of course, is that the baby is a little bundle of blessing. So he's tiny. He can be hid. The uh, challenging part of that, of course, is that he is a baby. He don't know what it means to be quiet. He only has a function of communication, which is... <laughs> Forgive me for that, uh, for that uh, obnoxious noise there, but you, you, you understand. But there's a flip side, of course. He grows. And when he grows, it's a bit more difficult to kind of hide from the tyrant who wants to murder him. So when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket, right? A papyrus reed entwined together in an uh, object uh, of protection. Well, it shows the mother's ingenuity. She's seeking a way to keep the baby alive. She cares for the child, more so than her life, because what she's doing is defying the crazy tyrant up there, the new king of Egypt, who would have her head on a platter if he knew he was, she was, going against government policies, dun-dun-dun, the mandates. How dare she go against the mandate? She must not care for her fellow neighbors. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. She has the ingenuity to seek a manner in which to keep the child protected, secure, alive. Then 
she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Um, the bank of the Nile. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm telling you, desperate times, desperate measures. There is an element of uncertainty. There certainly is. Who knows what's going to happen? But I have to give this beautiful little baby boy, I have, I have to give him an opportunity to survive in this world, this crazy world. Hard bondage, oppression, tyranny, all the isms that could have ever come about, right? Well, she rejects the mandates of the government and proceeds to try to give this child an opportunity in life. So she has this wicker basket. And I want us to look at this. And I'm just thinking here. Here's this child that's going to become a great leader for the people of God. No doubt. Not perfect. Far from it. Oh, a sinner. A man who will be caught in lawlessness will have had the opportunity, of course, to change and become a leader. Oh, there will be resistance. He don't want the office. He don't want this task. He don't want to become a leader for the people of God. I mean, who wants that responsibility, right? <laughs> I, I want to flee from any kind of uh, highly demanded position. I'm not going to give my resume. I don't want that job, right? I mean, in the mind of a man here, and the things he'd gone through. But yet God, as with Joseph before him, when God is with you, you are successful. You are successful. And Moses will indeed become successful. But look at it. This package is precious. It needs to be preserved. It's unique. It's beautiful. And there is a providential wind pushing this moment and it takes careful precaution to give this precious package all it can receive for survival we are wise we'd be wise to recognize that example and have the same mind with our children really they are precious packages. Yes, they are but a grain of salt in an ocean uh, uh, of poof, challenging elements their way. But as parents, they can be vessels of utility in God's love and compassion, guidance and instruction. And we must give our children all we can the security and protection of these walls, these boundaries, and wisdom. And so the mother of Moses recognizes what she has at her disposal to utilize and to protect him. And so they move forward. His sister, of course, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to the child. Because the child is in a wicker basket. He's covered up. Of course, the wicker basket was covered with tar and pitch so as to make it a floating device for a given amount of time, I, I assume. And then this child is put into this here uh, basket and uh, is set 
fourth in the reeds by the bank of the Nile. I mean, it's, it's oof, man, I don't know. That's a scary thought. It's concerning, no doubt, but it's desperate. And it's a desperate time. And that's what's available to her. And that's what she does. So the baby boy's sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. She's curious. I mean, she must have care for the child, her little baby brother, this beautiful little human being who was my brother. I now have to see him go, and I want to see where he goes. And I want him to be safe. I have three kids. Two sons, one daughter, the, do the daughter in the middle. And you know how it is with kids. Sometimes they roughhouse. Sometimes they get at each other's necks with stuff. But most times, most times, uh, you know, even well, even during those roughhouse moments of uh, where they get at each other, you know, with this, that, and the other, you know, grievances are held. Uh, they still love each other very much, and uh, they look out for each other, and they're trained that way. To be quite honest, we train them that way, and. Uh, I can understand that, that love. So his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to the little baby to be soon called Moses, described as Moses, and the daughter of Pharaoh, interestingly enough. So the little baby boy's sister is watching from a distance. And what takes place? Well, verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile. Okay. She's living in luxury, She's of the right political family, right? The right lineage there. And she's with her maidens walking along the Nile, her servants. Again, everything at her disposal. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid. And her maid brought it to her. Who? Well, the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, I don't know, but... I'll interject running commentary to my thought. Um, that's the last place I want the baby to go. That's not safe. Like, that's right in there, the nest of uh, the dragon, you know, the location in which came the policy to murder little baby boys. If I'm, if I'm the little baby boy's sister, I mean, I think, my anxiety's ramping up a little bit. Like, that's not where it's supposed to lead. I thought it was going to go somewhere else. I don't know. Something. I don't know. I would have great concern. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Oh, no. So the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking along the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. So she has the ability, of course, to recognize an object, a floating device that is out of place. It's not something, I mean, what's going on? It's amazing to me, again, noteworthy how the providential winds bring about the situation. Here's this mother, desperate, with her daughter, desperate. This unique, beautiful package, human being, a little baby boy. In desperation, he's laid about among the reeds in the Nile. And it's Pharaoh's daughter that picks up on it. Okay, what keeps going here, huh? Verse 6. 
So when she opened it, the daughter of Pharaoh, she saw the child. She saw the child. It's a little baby boy. And behold, the boy was crying. Well, yeah, we were talking about that, weren't we? That's the communicative skill of a little baby boy. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and she, the daughter of Pharaoh, had pity on him. It may not be a deep, passionate, human connection or compassion. But there is something there that would have been cultivated in her, enough so to recognize a certain measurement of worth in this little human being. Which is quite different, of course, from the source of political power that is now the king of Egypt. So it's quite telling, though among the pagan mind, some of this prestige ivory tower looking down upon these ugh, pesky, impoverished, needy little Hebrews, you know. Um, pity. Pity. Again, it might not be a well-embraced compassion from humanity's empathy or care. It may be just, oh, this poor child. I mean, it's so defenseless. He's so defenseless. Either, he's, either or, it shows a window into her heart. And we thank God that within this insight of her mind is found a place for this little baby boy. She had pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews' children. I know why. I know why I found this little baby boy. Because our policies and mandates bring forth the murder of little baby Hebrew boys. And so, in desperation, the mother of this little baby boy must have sought to give him an opportunity to live. And she sees that, and it's commendable from this source <laughs> that uh, God's will be done. Then, in verse 7, the little baby boy's sister said to Pharaoh's daughter. So there's a communication now. Because remember, this little baby boy's sister was looking out for her, her little baby brother. That's a scary moment. That's a fearful thing. I'm speaking to Pharaoh's daughter. The governing power of oppression that's been murdering little baby boys in my community. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, quote, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Now, why would... The little baby boy's sister say such a thing to Pharaoh's daughter because she must have had the ability to discern the pity within Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, that's not something you say to someone who's throwing a fit about how dare these pesky Hebrews try to save one of their little insects. Quickly get the guards, murder this thing, you know, throw it off a bridge. No, so there was a recognizable opportunity there 
an open door enough to put the foot in and be like, hey, listen, uh, a suggestion for you. Out of innocence, she says, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Would we recognize those moments with our corrupt governments who have, quote unquote, legalized murder under the banner or slogan of health care? Would we find ourselves doing the same? Risking our own lives? Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the time. Think. So Pharaoh's daughter in verse eight says to her, Go ahead. She is the holder of this permission. Though violating her own government's power, which is interesting. We're just doing our job. That's what you hear from these Gestapo-like enforcers now in our corrupt and fallen nations. Physically assaulting innocent citizens. Because, I don't know. They were not inoculated properly or don't have the proper face clothing or I don't know. Should I go into detail? No, not allowed to do that in certain platforms. So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. Sometimes, friends, if you're in corporation, if you're in, if you're in government, if you're in corporation, if you're in academics, if you're in entertainment, if you're in media, if you're in all departments of public power, sometimes the right answer is not, I'm just doing my job. Sometimes the right answer is, I'm not going to do my job because it's calling me to hurt innocent people. So I'm not going to do that. Our government is an oppressive tyranny. Not going to do it anymore. Maybe that's the right answer. Well, it's a good thing, of course, that Pharaoh's daughter did not just be like, well, it's just, I'm just doing my job. Let's get, let's... Let's murder this little thing. No, thanks be to God that Pharaoh's daughter had a heart, enough so, I'm not saying in full measurement, but enough so to have pity on this little baby boy to discern why the little baby boy was indeed now in her entourage. Enough so to allow his sister to ask her if she needed nursing. Assuming you want to keep the little baby boy alive. It's a good thing that she didn't just have the standard, I'm just doing my job. No, you're bringing people to be murdered. I got to pay the bills. Really? That's... Like, that's how far you go as a human being? Really? That, that's, that's your standard? That's your code? That's your compass? You are wretched. You are completely void of anything, of substance. Like, what's the matter with you? Just do my job. Get in the boxcar. Don't worry about the ashes coming down. Just get in there. You shouldn't be doing this. We're your own people. I'm just doing my job. How many times have we heard that throughout the years? From law enforcement, political powers, corporation heads, academic curriculums and faculties, entertainment industry, folks, people, celebrities, media in all its formats, social and cable, news outlets. 
Good grief, man. People need to grow some courage. And I know it's easier said than done, but we've done it. I've practiced what I'm preaching. Cops came and got us too. What are you going to do? Well, I'm not just going to, I'll just do my job. No, no, it's your duty to say no to these murderous individuals. It's a, it's the right thing to do for Pharaoh's daughter to keep this child alive. Even if he would not have been to come the leader of the people, as Moses, you and I know now today. Even if it, he would have grown up to serve your fries at McDonald's. He's a human being. We are human beings. We're not animals. We've been lied to for decades. And we think ourselves godless animals, even lower than the insects in today's world. No, we're human beings. The sovereignty of life, the uniqueness of our being. We were created in the image of the great I am. He loves us. even if it would have just been your standard human being, not to become a leader of a nation. It doesn't matter. He's human. He's one of us. It don't matter which geographical location, which language you speak, which skin pigmentation you were born with. You're a human being. So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. Yes, it is permitted. You are allowed. And it's a good thing that she saw it fit in her pity to allow the opportunity to flourish, that this child might live. Might live. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Imagine this situation. Like, you gotta, you gotta, don't read through these things too quickly. Take the time. Take the time to soak him in and meditate on that. So the girl, the little boy's sister speaking with the daughter of Pharaoh is permitted to go back and seek well-being for the little baby boy, her brother. And where does she go? The mother of the child. Now imagine if you are the mother of this child. What's going through your mind during such a desperate time where the new king of Egypt is a murderer? Well, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. Give him the nourishment necessary, the food his body requires, and I will give you your wages. Not only will you have the blessing of nursing this child, that is family, to you, you'll get paid for it. And in that context and time where they were slaved to hard labor, <laughs> um, man, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good contract. I get to be with a little child 
that through government policy should be murdered, he's now been given life, and I get to help him with his life. And I get to get I, – the government's going to pay me for it, for it. That's pretty cool. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And nursed him. She got to hold him and have him. So the child grew. Because of all these steps through God's providential mercy and grace, the child grew. Let's look at that, you and I. We want to give our future generations the opportunity to be useful for God and his kingdom. Love, first and foremost. The ability to have emotional investment in love, sacrifice, selflessness, thoughtfulness. The greater good of the child far supersedes our own. We decrease now. They increase. And they, in turn, will come to this very moment and will utilize it properly as they've been trained. Not as animals, but as human beings created in the image of God in the tradition of things that are upright and true and real. And so we give them love, first and foremost, love. The love to recognize their worth. Second, security, protection, defense. A basket, tar, pitch. Security, overseeing. The sister, overseeing, making sure we must oversee, we must look at, we must make sure. And even when they find themselves in the world, not as the world, dying with the world, but among the world, as spiritual beings, navigating through this life and its challenges, its ups and downs, persecutions and sorrows, that they too, at the hands of a great many hostilities in the world, can conquer the moment and persevere. The child grew. Will our children grow in this corrupt generation? She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. There was an adoption of sorts, correct? And there must have been, of course, deep sorrow, deep sorrow in his sister, his mother, his family, to have to separate themselves from his presence. Yet, understanding that this is necessary, it is a necessary sacrifice for the well-being of this child, this human being that has grown. And this human being, from the hand that was allowed, or ultimately, of course, by God's God's will, but yet through the vessel of this here daughter of Pharaoh, now given a son. And she named him. No coincidence, of course. She named him Moses. Now why would the child's name be Moses? Because the daughter of Pharaoh drew him out of the water. Interesting information. No, 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 listen, pay attention. Stick with me. 
Interesting information here. Because I drew him out of the water. What saved the little baby boy? First and foremost, we recognize the true source of his salvation. God. God. God and his providential power through the vessels of humanity, the mother, the sister, and the daughter of Pharaoh. A vessel of protection, the wicker basket, the papyrus reeds, tar, pitch, water, the Nile. Friends, we are wise to recognize a few things here. Because I drew him out of the water, she called him Moses. In the Christian age in which you and I live through the law of the 27 books of the New Testament, though learning from the 39 books of the Old Testament, you and I are submissive to the law of Christ mercy and grace. I found it interesting how in the age of Noah saved were eight souls through the water on this vessel, the ark, by the instruction of God. Peter spoke of these very things, the apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse... 2021 20, following. And the connection therein, spiritually, to our new birth in Christ. Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Quoting now from Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Upon the understanding of the scriptures made available through the evangelist Philip, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind? He is a ruler. He is a king. Yes, I do. I have no doubt about that. The evidence is overwhelming. I'd be a fool to deny and reject this evidence. Of course, yes, I do believe. Well, then you qualify. As a repentant believer, confessing him as your Lord and Master, you qualify to become a child of God. And so Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him, and they both came up out of the water. Now the Holy Spirit snatched Philip, but the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing, as with every recorded account of conversion in the book of Acts. Water. Does water save? No. Did Moses' mother save him? Well, you can see her part in the plan there, but no, she's not the savior of the child. What about his sister? Well, you can see her part there. You can see her part played, but no. Well, what about Pharaoh's daughter? Well, again, you can see the part that she participated in, for sure, but no, she's not. God saved the child. When you come up out of that water, after having called on his name, again, 
Is the water saving you? Did Philip save the Ethiopian eunuch? No. Did the water save you? No. Who saved him? Well, Jesus Christ saved him. But where and when and how did Jesus Christ save the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, you see, that's an important question, isn't it? It's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? Because you'll have all sorts of answers out there in the world, but in the scriptures, in the age of the Messiah in which you and I live, if we are believers, repentant believers confessing him as our Lord and Master, we qualify to be born again out of water and the Spirit. And I find the connection too clear to muddy up with our pride, our selfish ambitions. No, listen. From the age of Noah and the ark and the water to Moses and the basket and the water and everything in between up to leading with you and I today and baptism. Water don't save us, but yet Jesus does in the water. See, because we go to his tomb, don't we? Of course, that's the idea. That's the faith we must have, for without faith we are not pleasing to God. If you don't have faith, you'll come to think that the basket saved Moses. You'll come to think that Moses' mother saved him, his sister saved him, uh, Pharaoh's daughter saved him, the Nile saved him, the water saved him. You'll think poorly without faith, but with faith you'll see everything well orchestrated together for the salvation of the child. Well, today, my dear friends, to be saved by Jesus Christ, understanding the uniqueness of his church, his kingdom, the uniqueness of the plan of salvation in which how he saves us is to be born again out of water in the spirit. And when we come up out of that water, he adds us to his kingdom. We're saved. We've been washed of our sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. Peter knew this very well in 1 Peter three twenty one, Colossians 2, 12, Paul himself, they're not contradicting each other. They're all in it together. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, Acts 8, 36, so on and so forth. It keeps going. Are we humble enough to make the connection? Are we willing to make the connection? Can we give up our pride and truly be honest and think independently for ourselves? Well, my pastor told me, hey, listen, man, your pastor is not going to stand before you. Your pastor is just a man, just like the rest of us. Well, my priest, told me, well, mom and dad told me, well, no, 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 no. What about what Jesus says, though? What about what the Holy Spirit says? The Holy Spirit wrote a book. You can read the words of the Holy Spirit. Bit of an excursion there. Just, I just, I'm just throwing that out there for you to consider, man. Just to think about it. Did Moses meritoriously earn his salvation? Could he boast of his works? Could his mother? Could his sister? Could the daughter of Pharaoh meritoriously earn Moses' salvation and boast about their works? No. 
When we believe in Jesus, we submit to his will, calling on his name in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John Smith, you are being immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be added to his kingdom as a legal citizen. That's through the power of God, not me, not the water, not of your own self. You have nothing to boast about, nothing. We have to have the repentive heart of the thief on the cross, don't we? Certainly. Water. She named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. You know what we are called when they draw us out of the water? Christians. Christian. You're given the family name. Moses was called Moses because it was a descriptive name of his being. He was drawn out of the water. You and I are drawn out of the water and are given the name Christian because we were saved by Jesus Christ in the watery grave, the watery tomb. For Christ did not stay dead, did he? He rose from the grave. And you and I, when we go to that watery grave in faith, knowing we are with him in the tomb, we raise to a newness of life with him. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Open your heart to the information. Open your heart to the information. So the text continues here in uh, verses 11 through uh, 14. Let's see what's going on here. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So this child was given the opportunity to grow. And I find it interesting that he was given his name upon the description of his finding, water, Moses. He grows. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren. He grew up, for all intents and purposes, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, per se, right? Okay, but he knows his cultural lineage. He knows his people, his brethren, and he looked on their hard labors. Like, look at how they are being slaved. This is unjust. It deserves protest. It's not right. The government is corrupt and is mistreating these people. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So, in verse 12, he looked this way and that because he can't get caught by the government. Law enforcement catches him doing something which he's been thinking. He knows what he's about to do. He get caught, go to jail, may even end his life. So he looked this way and that. He's Man, I don't want to get caught. And when he saw there was no one around, he saw no one was around. He thinking no one's paying attention. No one's looking. No one can see me. And isn't it that way at times when we, we, I know it. Friends, listen. Sometimes someone sees you. Be careful. How so? Don't do the crime. Don't do the crime. But have the heart to not do the crime. 
It shouldn't only be, well, I just don't want to get caught. No, you shouldn't even want to do it. You shouldn't even want to do it. So he looked this way and that, and he, when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Was this an act of self-defense? If so, there, it's not permitted. It's not permitted, right? It's illegal to, for self-defense in such cases. It's the same here in our fallen nation. Self-defense is against the law here. Now, don't get it twisted. Again, we fear God more than we fear a corrupt government. And it's not the government's permission we need to protect the sovereignty of our household. <laughs> I assure you not. Best be carried, or how should they how how they say it? Uh, I'd rather be um, judged by twelve than carried by six. So when he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Well, we know. We can't practice retaliation or revenge. Turning the other cheek, loving our enemies, praying for our enemies, doesn't mean we allow our enemies to flourish and take control and, and, and you know, murder us. But nor does it mean, well, he stole 10 bucks from me, so I waited a week and I went and stole 100 from him. That's not, that's not justice. That, that's, that's bitter retaliation or revenge or it's not upright. It's not right. Now, he may have looked this way and that way because he knew that self-defense in such a, a, a case, a court case, would not be permissible. Like, he'd be in the wrong and they'd execute him. For sure. Or maybe it took, maybe it happened, he saw it, but then he waited a while and just waited for the right opportune moment in which he thought he could murder this, this Egyptian. There's a difference in court, for sure. Because if he's running towards the Hebrew being beaten by the Egyptian, he can immediately run in there and separate them and be like, hey, whoa, 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 dude, don't do that, man, and, and defend himself from, from any kind of violent harm. But if he sees the Hebrew being beat by the Egyptian and he waits till he's done beating the Egyptian, uh, beating the Hebrew and the Egyptian goes away and he plots and he watches, and he waits. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to get this guy. And he goes and murders him, thinking he's doing so in secrecy. Uh, no, dude, you can't do that. No, that's murder. That's not justice. That's not right. That's not what God wants you to do. That's not how God wanted you to handle that situation. And I understand the temptation for it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. We've seen a corrupt government throughout these years both in America and in Canada, fallen nations, we've seen law enforcement and their federal uh, corrupt goons physically assault and jail our innocent neighbors for not complying to erroneous and corrupt mandates and, 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 and just foolishness and, and insanity. Well, it's very tempting to wait. Yeah, I'm going to wait till this police officer goes here and goes there. I'll get him. I'll get him back. No, that's not how, no, 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 listen, that's not how, how Christian behavior, according to the love of our Lord and Master, is to operate. Does it mean we let it, we just let it happen, and we let, we let evil take over? No, no, we do not. There are upright, just ways, legal ways, according to God, His Son, and the privilege and freedom we have in Him, that supersede corrupt government and their mandates being enforced. There's ways 
at times, yes, I am well aware in self-defense, we must, we must utilize our equalizers. We must resort to violence in a righteous way against unrighteous violence that is inevitable and immediate. Those moments do exist. But I don't know what's taking place here, right? What do you think? What do you think? Do you think Moses here is practicing self-defense and it is an upright and righteous thing he is doing? Or did he practice perhaps revenge or retaliation or something underhanded that would cause him to have practiced lawlessness, a deed of murder? What do you think? So he looked this way and that and he saw there was no one around and he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now he went out the next day in verse 13 and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. Look at the, look at the situation. So here's an Egyptian beaten on a Hebrew. That triggers him. Why? Because it's his people. You know, you know it as well as I do. You know it as well as I do. The Americans are very good at this. My American brethren, you know this very well. If someone's harming one of your own kind, American, you want to get rid of the threat immediately. How dare, how dare they hurt one of ours, our American brethren? And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's commendable. It's, it's honorable. But sometimes I've seen it's more so out of pride, retaliation, and revenge. And it leaves a blind spot. It leaves a blind spot. You'll find yourself defending a fellow American just because he's American, but the man's a tyrant. He's a chaos. He's a disaster. He's evil. Yeah, but he's American and we stand for our American brother. No, no. <laughs> you missed it. Canadians do that all the time as well, by the way. Well, here is Moses. He is of the Hebrew lineage, bloodline, and culture. And he's seeing an Egyptian, a component of the oppression from the Egyptian power against the Hebrew people. And he don't like that. Because it wasn't right that the Egyptian was beating on the Hebrew. That doesn't get a pass either. <laughs> don't get it twisted. That should not have been taking place. That's not how we are to interact with each other as neighbors, as human beings. But that aside, how does Moses act? How do we act today? What do we do in those situations? So he sees the Egyptian beating on a hero can't be permitted, not allowed, so he murders the Egyptian. But now he finds himself seeing something quite different. He sees the Hebrews fighting with each other. Corrupt politicians want to categorize us with skin color, don't they? The blacks and the whites. The whites hate the blacks. The blacks hate the whites. All the white people are murdering the black people. All the black people are murdering the white people. Oh, they'll get us. They'll divide us and make us hate each other over all kinds of nonsense. It's all corrupt nonsense. All of it. You and I, it don't matter which skin color we have. We're human beings. We're brothers. Our cultures may be different. No doubt. Man, I, I get that. I respect that. I get that. That's not a problem for me. We come from, there may be difference in culture, but we're not different in, in species. We're not species, we're kind. We're humankind, one kind, humankind. Sometimes, I'm telling you, 
we are quick to recognize something hurting our kind, but we are blind to recognize our own kind hurting themselves. Americans hurting Americans. Canadians hurting Canadians. Individuals with white skin pigmentation hurting other individuals with white skin pigmentation. Other brethren with brown skin pigmentation hurting their own brown skin pigmentation. Oh, don't hate me, man. I'm just an observer. Observing. It's true. It's true. You know it. You know it as well as I do. So he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? Why are you practicing unrighteous violence, physical assault, on your own kind and culture, your own people? What's the matter with you? But he said, the aggressor, the offender, the individual who was beating on his own people, his own kind, he says, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Where's your authority? You know, police officers will say, stop in the name of the law. They pull rank on you. They're telling you they're representatives of the law, and it is not they themselves, an entity per se, that's calling you to pull over. It is the law that's calling you to pull over. So who are you to stop this here uh, violent moment? Are you the law? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Well, Moses' heart must have stopped right there. How do they know that? that? That can't be true. Why is he saying these things? I mean, look back in verse 12. He looked this way and that. I mean, I, I covered all the corners. I mean, no, no one was looking. No one, no one saw what I did. But yet this here individual now, my own kin, my own people, my own kind, my own culture. What, are you going to murder me like you murdered that Egyptian? He saw it. He knows it. What happened here? What's going on? Well, Moses was afraid. He caught a fright, and he said, surely the matter has become known. Now they know that I've murdered an Egyptian. Now that's capital punishment. I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a goner. It's over. It's done. I can't stay here. I got to go. I got to get it out of here. They're going to murder me. They're going to execute me. Moses was just a man, just like you and I. He became a great leader. Through the power of God, the instruction and command and law of God. He was just a man like you and I. Had to learn things the hard way. He sees the Egyptian beating on a Hebrew. He murders the Egyptian. He sees a Hebrew beating on a Hebrew and says, why are you doing that for? And he saw within the heart of the Hebrew corruption as well. Ah, who made you judge? Who made you the prince? What, are you going to kill me too? I don't understand. The Egyptians are corrupt and the Hebrews are corrupt. Why are my people acting this way? Why, what's the matter with this world? I need to go hide. I need to run away. I need to go away from all of this nonsense. I need to go find peace somewhere. I need to get out of here. Not only for the physical safety of my being, but also because my heart is troubled. My mind is confused. I'm in doubt. I don't know what's happening here. Life, death, my people, corrupt governments. 
you look at the world and you see the world acting like the world. And you're like, well, that's the world. Then you look at your brethren, Christians, acting like the world. And you're troubled. You're like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. If you've lived in the church long enough, you know the language I'm speaking. We've witnessed this. We've had to persevere through these moments. Brethren, we thought were our friends, were divisive wolves, sheep's clothing, taking advantage, slanderers. How can that be? That's what the world does. I need to go away. I need to go away. I need to go far away. Well, you can go as far as you want to. God will find you. God sees you. God knows all things. He's going to have to face the reality of this fallen world. What he did to that Egyptian, what he saw happening between his own kind, the Hebrews. And he's going to become a great leader for physical Israel. And that's where we will find ourselves, Lord willing, next week for midweek studies, verses 15 through 25 of chapter 2 in Exodus. Friends, man, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. Please consider to subscribe, like, share, drop a comment, all that kind of good stuff. Please consider supporting the work so we can keep doing the work this way to this capacity, this expediency. You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com and support us there monthly. There's the PayPal option. Right? You can send a donation through PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com. You can see there on the screen all the locations we create and share content. YouTube, Twitter, Substack, Locals, Rumble, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and Patreon. Friends, listen. Someone had to buy a Bible. Someone bought a Bible for you. But the information in the Bible is free. Someone has to pay for the lights. Someone has to pay for the bills. But the gospel is free. If you would kindly consider supporting the Added Souls Ministry through the Maya family, helping us have food on the table as we seek ye first, Matthew 6.33, that would be greatly appreciated. This new year, this new opportunity your way, uh, I am most thankful for your love and consideration. Friends, stay positive, stay focused. Lord willing, tomorrow we will have our topical session, 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time on all our platforms. Hope to see you there in good spirits. All right? Peace out.